I don't know if you know this or not, but our house is haunted. Now, we haven't seen blood run down the walls or heard strange voices telling us to get out, but it's haunted nonetheless. The best I can tell, there are at least two ghosts that live at our house all the time. Their names are not me, and I don't know. These two ghosts are responsible for virtually everything that happens and every mess that's made in our house. Someone leaves a glass of milk in the living room and we ask, who left this glass of milk in the living room? And we're told, not me, or I don't know. Not me and I don't know leave the refrigerator door open. They spill sugar on the counter. They drop trash in the floor near the trash can, but not actually quite in the trash can. They put bread or waffles in the toaster, toast them, but never eat them. It's getting so bad that we're thinking about sprinkling the house with holy water. Now, not me and I don't know, have a cousin that occasionally visits named Wyme. In fact, Wyme visited our house last Thursday uh, when I was trying to get the house cleaned up for Kelly before she came home. Now, unfortunately, not me and I don't know didn't come with them because I did know who made the mess. And in fact, it was me. But why me doesn't like doing anything? Why me does not want to put the dishes in the dishwasher or put the dishes in the dishwasher up? Why me doesn't like taking the trash around? Why me doesn't like putting clean clothes up or putting dirty clothes out? Why me doesn't like picking up the stuff laying around the living room? And truth be told, why me doesn't really like doing anything that why me doesn't want to do. And I'm pretty sure that we're not the only house that have been visited by I don't know, not me, and why me. And it's one thing when I don't know, not me, and why me visit the house during house cleaning time, but it's worse when they visit us when it comes time to meet the spiritual needs of others. For instance, we see someone that has a great spiritual need and we say, man, that person needs help. The question that arises from that observation is, who is going to help them? Sadly, very often the response is, I don't know. Not me. Or perhaps a person with a great spiritual need comes to us for help, and suddenly in our minds we are visited by, why me? Can anyone else relate to these visits? Often we try to justify these visits out of, our reluct- or these visits and our reluctance or flat-out refusal to help meet spiritual needs. But are our, our, our justifications and our excuses valid? We're going to see the answer to that question today. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to start reading in verse 14. That's page 748 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Matthew 17 and 14 says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? 
So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed and you, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except for prayer, fasting. The title of the message this morning is Meeting Spiritual Needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we want our lives to be lived for your glory. We want to do the things that you would have us to do. So, Father, we've come today and we've come with a desire to meet with you, to know you better, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, help us to lay aside the cares of this life. Help us to lay aside distractions that we may be focused on that would keep us from hearing from you in this time. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to come and to take your word and make it living and active in our lives. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. God, as we move out from this place today, let us be filled with your spirit. Let us be determined to do the things that you would want done. Help us not to rationalize or justify or excuse our unwillingness or our lack of desire to meet spiritual needs. Help us, Father, to see the problem that it is. Let us be committed enough to you that we would overcome it and we would do your will no matter what. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech that I could make your words known in the way that you want them spoken. Lord, be glorified. All that happens, let your will be done in each of our hearts and each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus has been up on the mountain of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John have seen Jesus in a measure of his glory. And as they come down from that, they are met by a multitude and a conflict. The conflict surrounds a dad who has a great spiritual need. Verse 15 tells us the dad had a son who was an epileptic and he suffered severely from the seizures that he cost, that he had. There were no meds, there was no help, there was no hope for kids with seizures in that day. And if you're a parent, you can imagine the great struggle and how distraught the dad must have been. And while the seizures may seem to be nothing but a physical need, Jesus says in verse 18 that he, he rebuked the demon and it came out of him. That the child was cured from that very hour. The seizures were caused by either demonic oppression or demonic possession. The need was both physical and spiritual. As we begin to look at and try to meet spiritual needs in the world around us, we're going to find that very often that is the case. Very often physical needs that people have are a reflection of what is going on in the spiritual realm of their lives. That's certainly the case here. All around us in our lives, we are surrounded by people who have great spiritual needs. Some are enslaved to sin and do not know a way out. Others are deceived by the devil. And there's one thing a person that's deceived is, is they, they don't know that they're deceived or they wouldn't be deceived any longer. Many people are weighed down by the cares of this life to the point that they're about to collapse. And at this point, it would be easy for us to say, well, yeah, that's bad. It, it is bad. The, the things that we see are terrible, but it's just not my responsibility. The idea that goes along with that statement is that my responsibility for things like that, it, it begins and it ends with me and with mine. And if I'm taking care of my spiritual needs and I'm taking care of the spiritual needs of my immediate family, I have no responsibility and I have no obligations beyond that. And, and there are, I've heard a lot of well-reasoned arguments and, and a lot of people make the case for that. And just to be perfectly honest, that was the mindset I would prefer to have myself. I'm basically uh, an introverted person. Right? While some people are naturally outgoing and strike up conversations with strangers easily, I'm not that way. 
It doesn't bother me to talk to people I know or talk to people who come up to me and begin to carry up a conversation. But me being the one to initiate a conversation with someone I do not know is far outside of my comfort zone. At the same time, I'm a very private person. I'm not a let's sit around a campfire and share our feelings in kumbaya and then hug it out kind of guy. I just that's not who I am. And I assume other people are the same way that I am. And these two things work together. To make it hard for me to approach someone and begin to ask them or try to help them with their spiritual needs, particularly if it's a person that I don't know. Now, if someone comes to me and asks for help, I have no problems at all meeting with them, listening to them, praying with them, doing whatever I can to help them with their spiritual needs, whether it's a friend or a family member, a church family or someone off the street. That, it's not a problem at all if they initiate the contact. The difficulty is for me to begin to be the one that initiates the contact. And it would be easy for me to say, well, I'm just not wired that way. I'm not wired to go out and initiate the contact. So therefore... I I shouldn't do that. I should do something I'm more comfortable with. Or or it would be easy for me to say, well, I'm I'm a husband and I've got kids that are teenagers. I just need to mostly focus on me and mine and and let everybody else learn to do that for themselves. That, That would be easy for me to do. Can anyone else relate to that feeling? Raise your hand. This is a safe place. It's okay. Right. If this is you, and as I've said, it's me. And as we go in, keep in mind, this is me. The point of this message isn't be more like Stacy. If anything, it's the opposite. Try to be unlike Stacy. But as we say this is how we are, there is a key principle that we have got to understand. Jesus expects me to meet spiritual needs. And if you've noticed, I've underlined and bolded and all capped me. Right. Do that. And if you take you write this down, circle it, highlight it, do what you can so that the me stands out because we don't want to leave here today and say Jesus expects the church to meet spiritual needs because the church could easily be pawned off on someone else. We don't want to say Jesus expects Christians to meet spiritual needs because if it's just Christians, then another Christian can pick up where I don't do it. But I wanted to highlight the idea that Jesus expects me to do it. Jesus expects you to meet spiritual needs. You and I, we have an obligation given to us by Jesus Christ to do what we can to help those around us. Jesus expects you to meet spiritual needs. Jesus expects me to meet spiritual needs. My responsibility to meet spiritual needs is not because I'm a pastor. It is because I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Your responsibility to meet spiritual needs is because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we see in this passage. In verse 15, the man tells Jesus, Have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. He suffers severely and he often falls to the fire and the water. Now look at verse 16. So I I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Right, the man had reached the end of anything that science of the day could do. But he had heard about Jesus. And he had come to the conviction that probably Jesus could help. And so he did what he could do and he took his son to those who followed Jesus. 
He took his son to those who knew Jesus, to those who were committed their lives to following Jesus. And he did this with the expectation that those who knew Jesus could also help him. He had every expectation that when he went to the disciples, they would be able to meet this need and they would be able to help him. The lesson we should learn in this is that the world around us, they very often believe that Jesus can meet the spiritual needs that they have. And when they come to us, they expect that as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can help as well. You know, the honest truth is, very rarely when people come to us for spiritual needs, are they really needing our help? In all honesty, what they're needing is, and they kind of know this, they need Jesus to help. And we know Jesus and they don't. And so they expect that since we know Jesus and we talk to Jesus and we have contact with Jesus, we pray to Jesus, that we can help them in ways that Jesus can. We can be there for them in that time of need. Now, it would be easy again to respond and say, well, the expectations of others have nothing to do with what's really the way I'm supposed to live my life. But I live for an audience of one. The expectation of the culture and the world, they are not the standard I am to live by. That is absolutely correct. But look at what we see in verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus was unhappy about their inability to help meet this spiritual need. After all the time that Jesus had spent with them, after all that he had invested in their lives, all that he had taught them and demonstrated to them, Jesus expected That they would be able to meet this spiritual need. He expected that they could do this at this time. Make no mistake, Jesus expects the same out of us. When someone comes to us for help with a spiritual need, Jesus absolutely expects that we can do what needs to be done because of our connection to him. Now, in Christianity today, we have accepted what I guess you could call low expectation Christianity. And in low expectation Christianity, you can be a Christian for any number of years and really not be able to do much of anything. You can have been a Christian for years and years and years, but you still can't help someone by praying with them. You don't know how to pray with them. You can't lead someone to Jesus. You can't help someone learn to live for Jesus. You you can't teach someone how to read the Bible so that they can come to know Jesus better. That you've been a Christian all of this time, but you're just not able to do what needs to be done to help them in their time of need. And a huge problem with this is it's not really acceptable in any other area of our lives. Alan, you've been doing the heating and air thing for six years. If you're boss hires a new guy tomorrow and sticks him with you and says, kind of teach him the basics, Alan, uh, for this week. And you say, gosh, I just don't know how. I I just don't think I can help him right now in this. I just, I mean, it's only been six years. I I don't think I can teach him how to do these basic things. Is your boss going to say, I get that. That's fine. Come on, I'll take care of him. Probably not. 
Melissa, if you hire a teacher this year, and she's new, brand new teacher, and she comes in, and you say you put her with a, a veteran teacher and say, hey, kind of teach her how to set up a classroom, what to expect, and she's like, can't. I just don't think I have anything to teach. I just don't think I can, I can do this. Are you going to be like, ah, that's fine, I'll take over. It's okay, I don't have anything else to do. You going to be okay with that? No. And there's not an area of our lives where this is okay. That there's not, none of us that have a job can go to our job and have somebody new put with us and just say, I don't know how to do it well enough to, to help anyone do anything. And our bosses just say, I get that, I understand. But we bring that mindset to Christianity. We have to reject the low expectation mindset because the reality is Jesus absolutely expects out of us. He expects that if he puts someone in our midst and he brings someone to us with a spiritual need, he has an expectation that you and I will do what we can to meet that spiritual need. We see this all throughout what Jesus says and does. He gives to, to believers, to you and I, the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. To teach them to obey all that He has commanded. To baptize them. To help them connect to the church. That is a, that is a command to you and I as individuals to go and meet spiritual needs. Help people come to know Jesus. Help people live for Jesus. Connect people to the people of Jesus. You and I, that is a spiritual need that Jesus absolutely expects each and every one of us to do what we can to meet. And he just tells us about this sort of thing over and over and over again. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are to do what we can to help others with their spiritual needs. There's one great passage that gives us principles about this, and it's Matthew 10. And in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the twelve on their first solo mission. And as he sends them out, he says, as you go, preach. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And this was their, their mission as he sends them out on their own without him. And there are three principles that we learn about meeting spiritual needs and, and the idea of the expectation that Jesus has. The first is, I should actively look for spiritual needs. I should actively look for spiritual needs. Now, for most of my time, most of my life, I have assumed that the idea of spiritual needs is really kind of a a passive thing. Right? If someone comes to me and says, hey, can you help me find Jesus? I don't know how to live for Jesus. Can you teach me to pray? Whatever. Then I do it. But only really if someone comes. But over the last few years, what I've come to realize is that's not what the Bible teaches really at all. Instead, what the Bible teaches is that as believers, we are we're to be looking for spiritual needs. But as they are being sent out, they are being sent out to, to look for whatever needs they can find. Jesus isn't going to be there with them to say, hey, Scott needs you to go tell him about the kingdom of God. Now, Melissa's demon-possessed. Red needs to be healed. Right? 
<laughs> I've waited all week to do that. Anyway, uh, hang on, I've lost my train of thought now. Thanks, Melissa. Uh, Jesus wasn't going to be there to do that. Instead, they were to go out without him. And then they were to look and see, he needs that. She needs this. Red needs that. Right? And that was their job. Their mission was to go and actively look for the needs. For you and I, again, it's the same principle. We go through our lives every day and there, we are surrounded by people who have real and deep spiritual needs. And our job is to actively look for those needs. Right? To, to not just live in my own little world. To not just say it's about me and mine. But to look and see what's going on in their lives. There are so many places that we could talk about with this. We see Peter going to the temple to pray. And there's a crippled man laying beside him. And laying by the doors, he goes in. And Peter, it says, the Bible says, he, he looked at him. He fixed his eyes on them. Peter actively saw the spiritual need. That this guy had. In the Proverbs, it talks about not ignoring the cries of the poor. Now, we would say, well, I'm not ignoring. If somebody doesn't come to me, then how can I? I mean, I'm not ignoring. But isn't it possible for us to just avoid people that might have those needs? If I know Scott doesn't know about Jesus and he's I hear him asking questions about it to somebody else that I would avoid him so that the question doesn't come to me so that I have to share it. Or if I know someone is sick or if I know someone is struggling in their faith, I make a point not to go around them so that I don't get asked awkward questions that I don't have to help with. That is that is ignoring their cries just as surely as if they were to come to us and we were to say, no, go away. You and I, we are to. Actively look. There is, there is no doubt today, tomorrow, and every day this week, each one of us will interact with people who are enslaved by sin, deceived by the devil, burdened with the cares of this life, beat up by them. And it's not meant to be that they get the point they can't make it and they come to us and beg for help. It's meant to be that we look and we see and we do what we can to help. So we actively look. But then, take the initiative to meet the spiritual needs. Take the initiative. In exactly the same way, they were to go out by themselves and they would see the needs that people had. And they weren't to wait until the people came to them. They were to go. And if they saw someone that was lost, they would go and preach the kingdom to them. If they saw someone that was demon-possessed, they were to go to them and cast out the demon. If they saw someone that needed healing, they were to go to them and and heal them in Jesus' name. Jesus wasn't there for them to say, Jesus, what do I need to do? Okay, Jesus says, here, go do this. He said they were to look. Once they saw, they were to do what they could to help. They were to take the initiative to help. This, above all else, may be the most difficult thing for many of us to do. Because many times we are very willing to help if someone asks. We are very willing to do what we can if someone were to come to us. But to take the initiative. Many times we would even see a need and say if someone else were to start helping, 
I would jump in and be a part of whatever needs to be done. But the reality is, you and I, we are meant to take the initiative. It's not enough to wait on someone else to start. It's not enough to hope that they come to us and ask. We must see the need, take the initiative to do what we can to meet that need. Years ago, I read a, I guess it was a poem, a little story written by a guy named Don Wildman. And it was basically about kind of the the growth of social ills and moral ills in our culture. And throughout the email, the guy would say, me, I'm a Christian. I go to church, the preacher preaches, I go home. That's what Christians do now. The point of the story was, while all of these things were happening, all Christians did was go to church, listen to preaching and go home because that's what Christians do now. Unfortunately, that's kind of the way we act with spiritual needs. I went to church. I listened to the preaching. I went home. That's that's all a Christian does. I, I have done my duty. I'm not responsible to do anything more than this. The reality is we are meant to take the initiative to see the need and then determine within ourselves we are going to do what we can to meet that need. And then finally... Meet spiritual needs with no strings attached. Jesus said to them that they were to, that they've received and they were to do it freely, freely is how they were to help. That they weren't supposed to be traveling pay-per-view preachers. They weren't supposed to go out and, and, and help the highest bidder. They, they helped and they left. And if the person offered to pay them, then that might be one thing. But they just did it freely and without charge. I think a principle for us from this is that as we seek to go and meet spiritual needs, we have to be sure that we do it for the right reasons and in the right way. We have to do it with no strings attached. We do it because it's the right thing to do, because Jesus wants us to do it and not because of what we can get out of it. For me, the hardest way that I have with this, and in my mind, this makes sense to me I can justify having strings attached because it's easy enough to say well okay if someone comes to me with a spiritual need then probably they don't go to church anywhere so I will I will help them in exchange they they come to church the next Sunday they come to church on Wednesday and to me see that makes good sense I'm trying to help them I'm trying to help connect them to Jesus what Jesus said about freely you have received, freely give is problematic with that mindset. It's problematic because Jesus didn't tell them to go and do that. Jesus just said, you go and you help and you do it freely because it's the right thing. Now, this doesn't mean we don't invite people to church. (laughs) Do invite people for next week. But it means we don't make that a stipulation before we can help. We don't say, I will pray with you or I will tell you about Jesus or I will help you with food. But only if you come to church with me first or if you come to church with me after. Instead, we do it freely. We do it because Jesus loves us and Jesus loves them and it is the right thing to do. This is exactly what Jesus did. Think about the number of people that Jesus helped during his earthly ministry. I mean, if we take into consideration all the people that he fed, 
and all the crowds that he taught and all the people that he healed and all of the folks that he freed from demonic oppression. It would be thousands, if not millions of people that Jesus helped throughout his three and a half years of his earthly ministry. But when the book of Acts starts, all of the fully devoted followers of Jesus are gathered praying. How many were there? About 120 or so. But Jesus didn't help them for what they could do for him. He helped them because that's what he did. He's what he came to do. And we are to follow that example. All of us are meant to do what we can to help meet spiritual needs. And in the end, our natural wiring can't matter. Not ultimately. Believers are not called to live, act, prioritize, or value, or react, or do naturally at all. It is all meant to be supernatural. Everything about who we are as the people of God is supernatural. We believe in a God that is supernatural all on His own. We believe that this supernatural God supernaturally spoke and the world came into being. We believe that when man sinned, God supernaturally came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And as He died on the cross, He supernaturally paid the penalty for all of our sins. And then after three days, He supernaturally rose from the dead. And then He supernaturally ascended into heaven. And His Holy Spirit supernaturally fills people so that they can go and tell others about Him. And when, he, when, we, when others are told about Jesus, He supernaturally works in their life to save them from their sins. And we, we believe this based upon a book that was supernaturally inspired by our God. Where he had men write it down and then he supernaturally protected it so that we could hold it in our hands today. In the end, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can't say, well, that's not natural, so I'm not going to do it. Everything we are, everything we believe, supernatural. And we are meant to live in a supernatural faith spirit-empowered way. So right now, today, let's each one choose to reject the I don't know, the not me, and the why me mentality. Let's determine that we are going to ask God to help us see the great spiritual needs of our community, those that we encounter on a daily basis, and that He will give us a deep and an abiding desire to do what we can to meet those needs. And let's commit to when God shows us this, that we will do what we can. The disciples were sent out to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons. We're probably not going to be sent out to do those exact same things. Not much chance we're going to cast out demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, or heal the sick. But that doesn't mean we can't do something. And whatever it is that we can do, we ought to do. Just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. Just because we can't do supernatural things like that doesn't mean we can't do natural things. Like be there for their time in need. Tell them about Jesus. Pay for them to have some food. 
pray that God would heal them. We can do something. And whatever we can do, let's determine. We are going to be a people that do what we can to help meet the spiritual needs of people we encounter on a daily basis. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.